This is an ABC podcast. You better believe it. We're back, baby. Hello and welcome to a fresh new year of the Sammy J Snack Pack with me, Sammy J, and with you, dear loyal listener. Thank you for coming back, or if it's your first time listening, this is great. This is technically episode 29, although I like to think of it as episode 1 of the new season, that being the year 2022. Great to have your company as we bring you every week a little selection of highlights from my breakfast radio show on ABC Melbourne, where I get to speak to a whole lot of different people about a whole lot of different things. On today's Snack Pack, we're going to be talking sex, going to be talking pillow fighting, going to be talking nudity, going to be talking about noises in the dark, and... Then to make it a bit more G-rated, you're going to talk Disney, okay? That's pretty much all my interests covered right there. That's right. The Sammy J Snack Pack podcast world is a beautiful, crazy place where it's just you and me and our own private thoughts. I'm very, very happy that you're joining me. I had a lot of private thoughts uh, in 2001 when I was driving using my freshly acquired P-plates and license from the Mornington Peninsula about an hour south of Melbourne, up to the CBD to take part in a mass nude photo shoot. You heard of this guy, Spencer Tunick. He's an international photographer who basically goes around the world getting hundreds of people at a time nude and then taking photos of them. This was a thing, and we all thought, many of us in Melbourne, what a great opportunity, let's go along and do it. And now those photos still exist, and somewhere in the crowd is my bottom, along with many others. Uh, It was a good time, it was a great time. It was a whole lot of public nudity, but gee, times have changed. You know, right now in Victoria, in Australia, there are only three clothing optional beaches left if you want to be nude out in public at the beach. There's only three places. And one of them, Sunnyside Beach in Mount Eliza, it's possibly going to be shut down. The council are sending a committee out to basically talk about whether people don't want to see uh, human genitals on the beach. And I don't know. What do you think? All I know is that day up in Melbourne was good times. It felt liberating. It was completely non-sexual. It was just a fun time with fellow humans. In fact, I did my own poll on radio just to make sure that I wasn't alone in that. And yep, turns out a lot of people out there have also enjoyed some time butt naked out in public. Community, it's a yes. Community, we need to have, give people the opportunity to get back to nature. Their primeval selves think it's important. Just be naked at home, Sam. Some people so, need to express it. Some people, are you one of them, Chris? No, no, but not now. Back in the day, I might have been. But yeah, these days, a little what? Does that mean, does that make you a prude by default now? Well, you know, we do have this Seinfeld thing going, and there's a good naked and there's a bad naked. <laughs> this is the Sammy J Snack Pack. Open with care. Regular listeners of the Snack Pack will know that I love to find out the tiny, petty grievance that my guests have. The thing that even though they're a really nice person or a well-known celebrity, it's the thing that would just make them snap and crack and possibly die on a hill over. So let's find out if she's as lovely as she seems on screen. It's the star of All Saints, Home and Away, a doyen of the Australian TV and stage world, Georgie Parker. Georgie, thanks so much for joining us on the Snack Pack. What is the hill that you would die on? The hill that I would die on uh, every, uh, just about every day is um, when I'm doing theatre or when I'm sitting in the theatre, but mainly when I'm actually doing a play. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, people come in, they settle, the lights go down, there's the announcement, please turn off your phones, la-di-da. And then, you know, the lights are black, the light, music comes on, you go out the stage and you're about to start and then the lights come up. And at that point, you you're about to set the tone for the next two and a half hours or whatever. Um, I always like a play that's under two hours, by the way. Um, and then, <laughs> and then what happens is people then decide, in that you know, in in that it's like a church, you know, it's it's so quiet. Yeah. Everyone's waiting for the tone to be set. People then decide to open a lolly. Oh and no! And so, and they do it slowly, so that they because they don't want to be loud. So they do it slowly. So whatever they're doing is not only excruciatingly out, it takes twice as long. So you mean like packets of lollies or like one boiled sweet? No, it's usually, it's like a boiled sweet, like a, you know, it's a strepsil or it's a yeah. butterscotch, you know, menthols, because, you know, they've got a bit of a cough and they don't want to cough during the play. And it's like, it's like <laughs> I work with one beautiful actor called Glenn Hazeldean and he's, it's one of his pet hates. And it's like, you know, nails down a chalkboard when people are, you know, that, that, that sound. Oh, yeah. I see it in his face and he looks at me and it's like, don't look at the audience, just look at me, it's going to be okay. And I try and I raise my voice and I'm trying to drain out the sound of this ever, you know, this eternally unwrapped lolly. <laughs> so anyway, and, and, you know, and also the other thing is everyone in the audience notices it, especially if it's a, you know, the ensemble theatre where I do a lot of plays, you're in the round and so it, all the audience can see each other. Yeah. You just feel a whole so, crowd sort of clenching their butts at the annoyance of this one just person. Just going, please unwrap the lolly. And sometimes I just wait. I put my head down and wait for them to do it. <gasps> so you've actually, as a performer, you have like like a school teacher sort of vibe from the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just look down and wait because they've sometimes got their lollies in a plastic bag. So then they pull the plastic bag out from under their seat. <laughs> <laughs> we are listening to Georgie Parker, who has just, and I am totally signing up to your army as a fellow performer straight away. Yeah, Georgie. do you have that? I mean, do you hate that? Do, you know what I hate? The, because it's the phones. It's people pulling out oh, yeah. a phone and you it's see a whole crowd of darkness and then their little gremlin face lit up. And not as is it rude, it's a direct judgment that whatever is on the internet is more interesting yeah, than like, what you're doing. Jesus, you're boring. <laughs> uh, Georgie, come on, yes. be honest. Have you ever been that person? Have you been the one? Because I confess, despite me joining your army, oh, yeah. I will rip into a boysenberry chock top like there's no oh, tomorrow. Yeah. I did it at a musical on Friday night, but I choose a loud oh. moment. I choose a loud moment, Georgie. Yeah, you, well, you know, in a musical, I'm sorry, you got you got the on, you got the you know the intro, you got you got a lot of music, you got a lot of sound. Yeah. You know, when you're doing when you're doing a heavy play or you know even a comedy, it's very important that everything's set up. You can't have someone going. You know, unwrapping something really loudly and it's like you're spoiling yeah. everything. Georgie, I'm pretty sure you didn't actually answer my question, though. Have you what done it, it yourself? Have you done Me? it? Oh, yeah. my God, you see? You see see what you did there? Yeah. Um, I have... Oh. No, I do it in the movies. Can I tell you one thing very quickly? Yeah. When I was at the Ensemble Theatre and we were doing a very heavy play, it was called um, A Rabbit Hole, I made an announcement before the show and they played it before the show. And it was, good evening to the Ensemble Theatre. and uh, they, they, uh, Please turn off your phones. And also, if you're going to have a lolly, please unwrap it now. Thank you. This is the Sammy J Snack Pack. Annie Louie, comedian, broadcaster, friend of the program. Are you wearing clothes? <laughs> I am wearing clothes, and it's a nay from me. Shut it down. What? Public nudity, <laughs> yay or nay, and you're going with the prudes? 
Yes, I am pro prude. I'm here to represent the young prudes out there. Need to be nude in public. You gotta question why. What is the kick that you get out of with being nude, specifically with other people seeing you? <sighs> well, I mean, a few things here, Eddie. The snack pack. So, Ross, my uh, podcast producer, just had a few questions for me about the mass nude experience. He's questioning whether it even happened and whether it was legitimate. It really, it really is. You can look up the photos. It was part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival from memory. Uh, Ross also wanted to know where we put our clothes. So this is true. Basically, we all turned up. It was like Princess Bridge in Melbourne and they did another one down by the Yarra River as well. And we all had to leave our clothes just like in a mass pile. It's like a thousand people there, just piles of clothes. And they had little marshals there who were meant to like make sure things weren't stolen. Bear in mind, most people did not have mobile phones. So the clothes were less, were worth far less than an average pair of jeans these days that would have like an iPhone in it. And then we all walked up to the bridge and Spencer there, the photographer, is with a big megaphone telling us all what to do. Uh, and Ross also said, was it, was it weird? And the weird thing about it is that it wasn't weird. That's my overriding memory. It was joyous. We were, there was so much laughter. The bodies, like that's the thing. You know, it was just every shape and size, piercings, tattoos, and I've never felt more comfortable amongst fellow humans. Like, I've been on a crowded train where everyone is fully clothed, and I have felt so much more removed from my fellow commuters than I did with those fellow nudists that day. It was good times. It was great times. In fact, speaking of bodies that come in all different shapes and sizes, do you know there is a sport right now being played by the name of pillow fighting? And I'm not talking about flirtatious year nine sleepovers like days of yore. I'm talking about actual pro wrestlers in a ring biffing each other with pillows for real. If you don't believe me, have a listen to this. There's a lot of action right now. Yeah, they're definitely going at it. Now it's Marines, they have stamina. Third and final round. Let's see if the Marines have stamina. That was a great hit by Fence. Great face shot. You were just listening to the dull thud of linen on flesh. That's right, professional pillow fighting. This is something I used to do at high school parties just for a laugh when we're all sort of, you know, flirting away in our pyjamas at sleepovers and things. But here we are in the real world with some actually brutal pillow fighting happening overseas where I'm joined right now by Steve Williams, the Pillow Fight Championship CEO. Hello, Steve, and welcome. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. How long has pillow fighting been? existed on a professional level i think we started it um you know we pay people to fight uh, we pay them to win we pay the winners uh champions and um, we've got a whole championship series lined up so you know as we as we as our fame grows uh, uh the prizes will grow and um you know it's, it's just been um incredible so far it's um we're all over social media um we posted a one video one clip today uh, just this morning, and it's already got over a million views. So it's just, um, it's outstanding. So it's still a, a relatively new sport, though? Brand new. Uh, we really just started about four months ago. We were, we've we been planning for three years, um, but the pandemic put it on hold. So we picked it up back in March and had our first event in September. Do the participants often have a background in boxing or wrestling, or are they coming to it from all different walks of life? You know, our first event, we really had, um, we had some MMA fighters, some, some famous ones. Um, we had actually four, uh, let's see, we had two heavyweights and we had two middleweights that were, that were actively with UFC and Bellator. Um, 
but we we had some you know kind of people off the street um fitness you know people in great shape um you know we we tried to pick we had matchmakers and we we brought in boxers um selected different people we we even had a couple of walk-ins off the street that you know we thought oh you know what we had space for fight let them fight um we didn't expect much but all of a sudden uh, it was a great fight so um it could be anybody and what about the rules is it as you'd imagine is it simply they that go down first uh lose the match or are there some really complex sort of rules and regulations around the fight uh it was one of the problems with american football is nobody understands the rules so we wanted to be as simple as soccer you know, or a, or a basketball, you know, mm-hmm. so you get a hit. There's different, uh, there's different hits like the 360, you get three points. Um, you have to hit in the head. Um, if you just get a normal headshot, you get a point. Um, if you knock a guy down, you get three points. And um, there's some deductions for, you know, penalties, things like that. And um, very straightforward. I'm chatting to Steve Williams, from who is the CEO of the Pillow Fight Championships. As we've just heard, a brand new sport and something that might sound a little lovey-dovey if you're listening, but if you jump online and watch this, this is still a thrilling and brutal fight taking place. We're not talking light pillow. This is like smashing each other up in an entertaining fashion. Stay with me, Steve, because I want to talk to one of the fighters themselves to get the perspective from inside the ring. I believe I'm joined by Terrell Jenkins or TJ. G'day, TJ. How are you going? Hey, how you guys doing? How you guys doing? We here. TSC all the way. Let's go. Hey, let's do it. Now, you've just heard the CEO talking. Of course, CEOs, you know, often stand on the side and make money from the sport, but they're not in there getting brutally bashed by a pillow. What's it like being in there in the middle of this this new sport? It is fantastic. It's such a blessing to be a part of it, to be a part of, like, something new that's sparking the world. You know what I mean? So... I'm enjoying it. I know other some of the other fighters are enjoying it as well, and we're just having fun. I feel like this this kind of fun, this kind of excitement is needed in the world. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm, so I'm just so appreciative of just being a part of it. Is it is it actually dangerous? Exactly. Like, do do you, do you run the risk of injuries and so on, or is it actually a lot safer than than most it, other sports? It really it, it really depends. It really depends who you're going against, you know, but you got to go in there with a heart and a, and a heart full of faith, you know. So you might go in there, might get beat down, might go in there, and you might get a win, but it depends on if you truly know yourself. You shouldn't have to worry about it. Just go and have fun, you know. Have fun. Lay your head down and just enjoy yourself. Enjoy being a part of something positive. TJ, I weigh 59 kilograms, but I'm wily and I can dart like a rat. Do you think I'd stand a chance against you? <laughs> hey... Hey, I'm coming with that that power. So hey, I, I am who I am. You know, I, I'm going to do. This. I'm going to do this. I'm going to come in, compete, and have fun. Do you get to choose your own pillow? Is it is, is it regulated? Do you get to bring your own, or are they really specific about the size and and the the thread count? I wish I could bring my own pillow. I feel like my my pillow is more comfortable, and I feel like I'm pretty used to it. I sleep on it often, but. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that they have their pillows, and I feel like, you know, in the beginning it was a little bit heavy, but now it's not that heavy as it was in the beginning. You're listening to the Sammy J Snack Pack. Mmm, yummy, yummy in my ear tummy. Ah, it's great to be back here for another year of Snack Packs. I'm still the same person you know from last year, but one major thing has changed, and that is that I now have in my life the movie Encanto. And I now cannot believe or understand my life before that movie arrived because it is objectively one of the best damn animated movies of its generation. There, I said it, Disney have just gone and kicked a 10-point goal 
with this movie. It's beautiful. It's stunning. The music's gorgeous. And to prove my point, I thought I'd enlist a fellow Disney animation enthusiast, the ABC's very own Tali Olatia. Tali, I'm sure you'd agree. I mean, look, to begin with, it's an amazing film to look at. It's visually stunning, and the animation is so on point that there were points in the movie, obviously not on close-up of their faces, where I was like... Are these real people? Like, am I Mm. watching something that is real? Like, you can escape into the fantasy, into the magic, into the encanto um, of the movie. And I think in terms of just watching something that is beautiful, encanto is definitely that. And, I mean, this is me as a 34-year-old woman watching a movie like this. Could you imagine what that movie seems like and looks like through the eyes of a child? It well, would be it. incredible. And I will say, uh, you know, I think Alice Zazaski, my, my friend and colleague, has been mistaken for actually having played Mirabelle, the main character, several times already. Uh, I will say, let's move to the storyline. A lot of listeners are going, what's mm-hmm. in Cat? Never even heard of it. It's a beautiful storyline. Uh, Tyler, you want to give a quick summary of what actually the movie is about? So essentially it is this, as you said, set in Colombia, a multi-generation family, three generations under the one, um, in, in the one house. Um, and the grandmother, the abuela has been given a miracle, a gift. And so everyone, her three children, their children, except for Mirabel, are all given a gift while being in the house. So we're saying like a mum who can heal people by giving them food, someone who can talk to animals, another kid who is super strong. And then we've got Mirabel, the central character, who at her gift giving ceremony wasn't given a gift. Brutal. And she's trying to now understand what's happening in the casita, the house, who is her own character. The, the casita is is amazing um, because the magic seems to be crumbling and they're trying to work out what's going on with this family. It's a complex storyline comparatively mm. and I think it's rewarded by repeat viewing which is uh, just as well because my kids as I say are nearly up to their 10th time but you've just touched on this and the diversity part of the movie is a huge part of why it has been I think so embraced around the world because obviously it's not just designed for one specific white set of western viewers. Mm. And not only diversity for diversity's sake, but done so very well. And Disney does this very well. And the moment that I had my Disney representation epiphany was in 2016 with Moana, of course, being a Pacific background, seeing Mm -hmm. a Pacific person. Amazing. And that's when I got to learn about like kind of Disney's cultural trust, where they will bring in experts to talk about anthropology, costume design, botany, music, language, architecture. When you watch Encanto, you know that this is a a, a celebration of Latin America. And like, even there's a point in a song where um, they sing a hurricane of jacarandas instead of jacarandas as we know them. And it's just the music, everything in it makes you feel like you were there. So if you are from, you know, a Latin community, and not just like Latin as we know, Indigenous, Black, there's a blending of different um, skin types, skin tones, hair. It just feels like if you are from someone who wants to see themselves on screen, this movie will have you covered and not in a tokenistic way, in a way that is just really, really beautiful to see. And it is beautiful to see the progression because, you know, whilst we're holding up Disney for having done great work, you know, some pretty shameful um, stuff in even their recent history, like Aladdin, which now carries a warning when you watch it about the depictions of certain cultures and races. Tali Olatea, I am chatting to right now about Encanto, the latest Disney movie that has got my kids singing along and plenty others as well. 
Time is against us, Tali, but how can we not now hold the music up? Composed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, creator of Hamilton, wrote the songs for Moana as well, so a sneaky link there. But these are just bangers. It's top of the Billboard charts. And some lyrics, like I said before, the Hurricane of Huckarandas, um, the We Don't Talk About Bruno, obviously a hit song. And in that song, I think an iconic line for especially a Disney production and a musical, seven foot frame rats along his back. <laughs> like even the imagery, everything that that sounds of in that song. And another favourite line from that song was no clouds allowed in the sky. <laughs> there are just moments where you just go, oh my goodness, Lin-Manuel Miranda is like a lyrical freak in the way he moves those words together well there we have it folks no more snacks left in the pack this week but don't worry i'll be back next week with another podcast thanks so much for getting on board for downloading it if you like it you can rate it tell your friends etc i won't bully you into that stuff i'm just contractually obligated to remind you huge thanks to my sound producer extraordinaire ross kavanagh and my entire radio family harriet hashtag Haley crane and chris hollow who put together the daily breakfast show which you can hear on abc listen app wherever you are thanks to your company have a great week chat soon I mean, I might chat to you even sooner. I mean, maybe I'm still chatting to you right now. Ross, can I, can I keep chatting? I can, yeah, okay. Well, great. Okay, one more thing, just one more thing. Uh, I found a crumb because I do like a good headline and I could not walk past this particular one when I saw kinky sex gene found in Australian dragon lizards. I mean, wow. I need to know more. I need to talk to La Trobe University professor Jenny Graves. Jenny, you certainly have an attention-grabbing headline. <laughs> yes, well, we, we love dragons and we've been working on sexy dragons for a long time, well, but they have delivered a real knockout this time. But we can confirm, and I should like to, on behalf of lizards, confirm it's the gene that is kinky. It's not the lizards that are kinky with regards no, to sex, correct? No, lizards are perfectly sensible. They're fine. They're just uh, nice little missionary that, lizards. That's right. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm... Look, I'm really going now. I just, I, I just don't want to face the real world this way. Okay.